With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Dolphins fans. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side. Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. We have a great show here tonight. Going to have a one-round mock draft with Brian Miller and with Paul Pickin, and later on with C.K. Parrott. We're going to go through the front seven players, defensive ends, defensive tackles, and linebackers. But before we get into that, we have a new uh, creative um, element to our show that Paul and Solo D have been working on. So, Paul, I'll throw it to you on that. Yeah, so Solo and I have been talking for a little while. I know we've been using the Monday Night Football intro. I know we all kind of grew to hate it. And yep. Solo put together an absolutely amazing song for us here. Wanted to go ahead and intro it. Uh, make sure you follow all solo stuff out on MiamiSportsMusic.com. Um, they've got an app dropping live this week, which is fantastic. And we are going to have, like, a cut-down version for the opening of the show. We'll be playing this whole thing at the end of our show. I know the three of us all love it. So without further ado, here is Solo D. It ain't the left side or the right side. And it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side, or the right, right side, side, and it must be the fifth left. Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian, Cat, and Paul about to do again. We rep our team, you can't change, stop or ruin it. All we need is a figure what to do to win. Fins radio, live and direct. Win or lose, we showing up for every contest. No puppet talk, it's all raw and unfiltered. Voice of the fans when the season looks for Rockin' apple orange over here, then you familiar Every week they comin' through our speakers to fulfill the Crazy we have to hear about our team and all the latest news Vets the rookies trying to make the team paying dues Current players and alumni interviews City to city, state to state, follow the moves Call the hotline, Dolphins talk, set to go Best sports team and show all across the globe It ain't the left side or the right side So, again, folks, that's going to be a big part of our show going forward. Huge thank you to Solo D for that. We're going to have him here on the show in a few weeks just to talk a little bit about it and what they've got going on over at Miami Sports Music. And, and i got to say, I'm excited for this. I really love how this came out. Yeah, it sounds you great. Know, I, and it, it, go, go ahead, Brian. No, I was just going to say, you know, it, it's pretty awesome to uh, to hear that. And, and on a personal level, 
Um, you know, eight years ago, I started saying on the right side, on the left side, it's the fence side. So hearing that in a song just really rocked my world. So thanks <laughs> to you, dude. That's flipping awesome. I feel like I feel like it's like, like part of the little child of mine. I love it. I love it. I I love it too. And I'll tell you, and you guys both know this. I I don't get excited about a whole heck of a lot. But when when I I listened to that the first time, I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome! Just hearing that that come to life. Thank you very much for Solo D. We'll be sure to give him a shout out at the beginning of each show. Hopefully, as our show continues to grow. His career does as well, but because it's obvious he has a lot of talent. Uh, so let's take a look here at some Miami Dolphins news before we get into the uh, NFL mock draft, the, the first round mock draft that we're going to have a round table on going at the first 31 picks. But before we get to that, a little bit of Dolphins news. Uh, they did sign somebody this week uh, that was released from the New England Patriots. Defensive tackle Chris Jones is going to, uh, for the time being, be our fourth defensive tackle. This is a player who started 23 uh, games here in 2013 and 2014 here. Brian, back to the show. Uh, I'll kick it to you first. Uh, what do you make of this signing? Do you like it? Yeah, you know, I actually do. This is a guy that's got a lot of potential if he can stay healthy. Last year he had a calf injury that kept him out all of the all all season long, but there is a lot of potential with this guy. And you know what? It's nice to see that the Dolphins are finally bringing in somebody from New England instead of vice versa. This is a guy who can make an impact on this team. If he can stay healthy, he's got the starting the, the starting the starting snaps under his belt. And I think that this is a guy who could actually stick in Miami. It's a low cost, high reward for the Dolphins. I love it. I think it's a good move for the Dolphins. Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins do need a little bit of, of help at the defensive tackle spot behind um, Sue and, and the other folks that got it. I don't think he's going to be a huge impact. I think he's, he may end up being a, a training camp cut potentially. I know they like to move guys like today and, and some of the other guys inside on passing downs and really put Cam Wake out on the edge. So this could go either way with Jones, but you know, I, I, I'm fine with them taking this move. Yeah, I really do like this because I think defensive tackle depth is needed. And I'm not even against them cutting Earl Mitchell, who didn't impress me at all last year. Uh, Chris, Chris Jones, yeah, in 2013 and 2014, uh, played almost 40% of defensive snaps for the Patriots. Obviously, he was doing a little something right. They do have an overwhelming amount of, of defensive ta- tackle depth there in New England. Dominic Easley was also cut this week, too. Another player that was cut that could factor into plans for the Dolphins, because we know we, they like to pick up these defensive players, or these players in general, who have been cut by other teams because it doesn't affect uh, their compensatory formula for next year. So uh, Cortez Allen, the cornerback from the Steelers, was cut. Just a little bit of info on him. Five years, $26 million contract he signed right before the start of the 2014 season. He's been injury prone with a knee injury ever since, played 12 games over the last two years. But if the Dolphins do want to kick the tires, he's only 28 years old, does have some size, does have some speed to go with him. Just a name to keep your eye on there, too. A bigger name is that the the Carolina Panthers, this really came out of nowhere, have rescinded their franchise tag on cornerback Josh Norman. And the word is he's looking for some somewhere north of $16 million a year, made his first Pro Bowl this past year, had an incredible season, uh, arguably the best cornerback in the NFL last year during the Patriots-NFC championship run. So, you know, it seems like the Dolphins are, are right into – 
all of these free agents, and they haven't talked about Josh Norman. I don't expect the Dolphins to sign him, but, you know, it seems like every team in the league is going to be interested in this guy given his talent. Paul, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, Josh Norman, given the price tag of what he's expected to command, is this a player that you would look at? Uh, $16 million a year, no. Um, if they're able to talk him down a little ways from there, I mean, you can get him down to 13 or so. And I am 100% on board with this. I mean, it gives Miami a true number one corner that's going to give folks fits for years to come. Um, so if he goes down a little bit from there, I'm good with it. Otherwise, I'd rather go after Leon Hall. I'd go after him right now, absolutely. Um, I, the, the price tag doesn't scare me. It's very easy to work numbers into a team-friendly deal that looks good for Norman on the surface, but underneath the Dolphins can structure it uh, the way they want. They're around 16 to $19 million under the cap right now. You can get a first-year deal done pretty good that looks good on the cap. Uh, $42 million roughly under the cap next year without the spike that's expected next year. I think the Dolphins can work this out. You restructure Mike Pouncey, that gives you a little bit more money, and I'm on board with cutting Cameron Wake and saving another $8.9 million that you could throw at him. So I'm 100% on board with this. Um, do I think the Dolphins will do it? Absolutely not. I think he'll sign somewhere else. And, Kat, as you alluded to, if he signs in one of the top ten spots, this is something that could bode well for the Dolphins at cornerback in this draft. Yeah, Josh Norman had an incredible season last year. And, you know, I, I tend to side a little bit more with Paul, I, given the price tag. But if, if I saw that Josh Norman was signed by the Miami Dolphins, which I don't expect, I don't see any way in hell that it happens, of course a big part of me is going to be excited on that. He's a fantastic player. Where I draw my line in the sand is the $16 million. And uh, another thing, this is somebody who's going to be 29 here at the end of the year. People say, okay, 29, not a big deal. This is a fast young man's position, a cornerback. And um, I want a player, if I'm going to do you know, a five-year, $90 million contract, I want this guy to be squeaky clean across the board. Uh, and the age is a little bit of a concern for me. I expect him to go to a team like the Oakland Raiders or the Chicago Bears that does have a lot more money to play with, not only this year, but in the future. So a lot of moving parts in terms of personnel. We're only nine, excuse me, eight days away from the NFL draft. So a little treat here for you tonight. Very quickly over the next about half hour, 45 minutes, we're going to go through quickly a first round NFL mock draft. And we're going to do a little round table on this um, before we get CK on at 745. So let's start here with the first pick in the draft, and I believe that goes to Brian Miller with the St. Louis Rams. You know, I, I really think that the Rams are going to throw a, just a massive curveball in here, and they're going to go with somebody like, I don't know, Ramsey. No, I'm kidding. They're going to go quarterback. <laughs> they, didn't trade up for any, they didn't trade up for anybody other than quarterback. Um, and if they did, it would be such a, a foolish, foolish thing, but they're not. I think the first pick is going to be Jared Goff, quarterback out of California. And, well said, no. And actually, I'm just going to piggyback real quick because I know we've got a, a crunch time tonight. And yeah. The, the uh, Eagles are going to be excited about that, and they're going to immediately snag Carson Wentz at number two now that they moved up. Absolutely. And uh, it'd be a shock if, I mean, let's just make it clear. It's, those are going to be the first two picks. Um, it may be Wentz-Goff. It may be Goff-Wentz. We'll see what happens. But really what it, where the draft begins here is, is number three with the San Diego Chargers. They can go in several different ways. The popular pick right now is Laramie Tunzel to the Chargers. But when you look at the Chargers roster at left tackle, they signed King Dunlop uh, before last offseason. 
to a, a pretty sizable contract. And at right tackle, just this past offseason, re-signed Joe Barksdale. Uh, four years, $23.5 million. So they've got their bookends. They're not great, but they've got their bookends. I'm going to give them, as a result, I'm going to give them Jalen Ramsey, uh, the defensive back from Florida State. They lost Eric Weddle in free agency. Really need a difference maker back there, and I, I, I think – um, Jalen Ramsey, when all said is done, and, and when all is said and done, is going to be the pick there at number three. So we go down to number four with Dallas, and Brian Miller's on the clock. You know, it's interesting because I thought Ramsey, uh, I thought Ramsey would be here for the Dallas Cowboys, um, and, and and they very well may be. Um, with that being said, with him not being on the board. I think Miles Jack, I think this is a spot that Jack can go in. The, the Cowboys need a linebacker. Uh, they've got a lot of question marks and some health concerns with their starters. Um, defensive end's also a possibility, but I don't think right now with the suspension that's coming to one of, I, to their defense, their starting defensive end, um, I think that, uh, that Jack, even though he's got some injury concerns, I think this is a good spot to pencil him in at. Absolutely. Paul, uh, in uh, number five with Jacksonville, uh, now that Miles so, Jack's off the board, you, you'd have to think that they're a little bit disappointed to see Jack off the board. Who are you going with at five? I do think they'd be a little disappointed to see Jack off the board. Uh, I, I'm sure that after watching these quarterbacks come in, they were salivating at the hopes that Ramsey may slide. But at the same time, they're a team that wants to protect a wonderful young quarterback in Blake Bortles. And what better way to do that than to add arguably the top player in the draft in Laramie Tunzel and really throw him out there and keep him uh, Bortles on his feet to throw to the talented receivers he's got there. So they're going to go Laramie Tunzel here. It, very, very possible in that. Absolutely. I, I think these, these top five has gone a little bit uh, as we expect and what a lot of people have projected as well. At number six, I'm going to give the Ravens defensive end DeForest Buckner out of Oregon. More of a 3-4 player, which is what the Ravens run, uh, than Joey Bosa, who now is starting to fall down the board a little bit um, in, in this early first round. But when you look at DeForest Buckner, 6'7", almost 300 pounds, uh, one of the most durable players at Oregon, played in one, in one game played almost 100 snaps during the game and so very very durable very athletic and and the Ravens do have a big need there at defensive end moving along to number seven the San Francisco 49ers and Brian Miller you know real quick I want to go back um, I I meant to say this a minute ago about Dallas don't rule out the possibility of Ezekiel Elliott going number four Cowboys have a little bit of a need at running back and Jerry Jones likes these type of players this is a name that's starting to pop up on some of the mainstream mock drafts, so keep an eye out for that. I'm still going with Jack here, but for those of you out there that love Elliott and think he's going to fall, there's a lot of teams between now and then that could take him. At number seven with San Francisco, it could get crazy here. A lot of people mocking, again, um, Miles Jack to, to, uh, to these guys. DeForest Buckner's another possibility, but I think that here, I think we're going to see Joey Bosa come off of the board that – San Francisco 49ers need to fix their defensive line, and whether it's an edge rusher or a solid defensive tackle, Bosa's too good to pass up here at seven, and I think they're getting a great player at that position. I, I, I agree with you there, Brian. I think they have a lot of holes to fill on that defense and on that offense and everywhere around that team. So they could really be one of those those key teams that, that actually will – impact how the rest of the draft falls in the next several picks um, because they could go any direction. 
the Browns just moved down to number eight, and they've got a lot of needs as well. And you know what? They're going to go ahead and grab Ezekiel Elliott if they stay at number eight and plug him into that backfield and add a lot of mobility to go with RG3. Yeah, and that's really gets into the conversation too. You know that, that I think a lot of Dolphins fans would be very disappointed to see Zeke come off the board um, here at number eight. Yeah, now you start looking at a few different players at number nine for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You, you, you could look at Ronnie Stanley, the tackle from Notre Dame, but not a giant, giant need there um, at that spot. So I'm going to go ahead and and give them cornerback Vernon Hargreaves out of Florida. And, again, I think this would be another heartbreaker for a lot of Dolphins fans, myself included. Um, Hargreaves, who actually idolizes uh, Brent Grimes, maybe not off the field, but on the field, um, is now able to play opposite of him. Uh, the Bucks secondary that's been a mess over the last couple of years after losing, you know, Darrell Revis and Mark Barron and, and Deshaun Goldson now get to implement Vernon Hargraves into that defense. Brian, number 10, and New York Giants. Yeah, I think the uh, the Hargreaves pick, I think that's spot on. I think this is the spot that he's going to go at. Tampa Bay is all on board with this. They don't have the money to go after a guy like Josh Norman. Um, so Hargreaves is a perfect fit for them at number 10. I think the New York Giants were looking at Ezekiel Elliott. He's not going to fall to 10. I don't think he's going to fall to 10 in the real draft either, but I do think Ronnie Stanley will. The Giants need to fix their offensive line and give Eli Manning pass protection, and I think Stanley's a perfect fit for them. They could go defensive end here. They could go defensive line, but I don't think they can pass up the opportunity to get the second-best offensive lineman in this draft. That's definitely a good point there. And, uh, you know, Tampa Bay is going to be a little sad to see Stanley come off the board. But at the same time, they're going to be able to help out their defense quite a bit. And go ahead and add a dynamic pass rusher in Shaq Lawson and throw him on that, on that defensive line. Yeah, so, Paul, if I'm hearing you correctly, you've got Shaq Lawson going 11 to the Bears? Yep. Absolutely. And that would be interesting because he could be a scheme-versatile player for them. They play a 3-4, so maybe you see Lawson stand up at certain points. Maybe you see him on that defensive line. Uh, really creative uh, right there with that pick. So before we get to the Miami Dolphins, we've got one more pick left, um, and that is the New Orleans Saints. And a lot of different directions they can go. I think they may be a little disappointed seeing um, – Shaq Lawson come off the board there. I'm going to go ahead and give them Sheldon Rankins, the the defensive tackle out of Louisville. Uh, the first one to come off the board, you may start to see a run on that defensive tackle class uh, here at number 12. So now here, now here we are with the Miami Dolphins, and we'll kind of put a stick in the mud right here and talk about this as well. Um, because we have a few, uh, I mean, we still have a good board here, but I, I think at this point right now when you see – Ezekiel Elliott go at number eight, Vernon Hargreaves go at number nine, and Ronnie Stanley go at ten. That's when it's kind of becomes deflating for the Dolphins here. Still some good players on the board. So I'm going to ask two different questions here to both of you, uh, and I'll throw it to Brian first because uh, that's his pick. Um, who would you take, and who do you think that they will take with the number 13? Yeah, I think that's pick? a great. I think that's a great question because when you look at this pick, like you guys said. There's a lot of players that the Dolphins should be targeting that are going to come off the board before they pick. And we're going to hear a lot about why did the Dolphins make that trade with Philadelphia when we look and see who's on the board when the Dolphins would have picked at eight. And I think that, you know, you can look back on it however you want. The Dolphins got two starters. 
Who would I pick here? If it was my choice, given the way this draft board has shaken up, there's two guys that I have in mind, either defensive end Kevin Dodd, or I would go with Reggie Ragland from Alabama. Ragland probably could be had a little bit later in the draft if the Dolphins wanted to move back. I would find it very hard to pass on Kevin Dodd. My number one pick, absolutely 100% would be Jack Conklin, the offensive tackle who can also play guard, but I don't think Miami's going to go in that direction. I'll let Paul go ahead and give his choices as to who he was before I make the Dolphins pick. So for me, I, I'm actually ecstatic at how this plays out. The two guys with the way I expect the, the board to play out, which is very similar to what we have here, that I would want here are, as everybody probably knows at this point, Reggie Ragland, but also Eli Apple. He, he's a guy that I think can come in, immediately start opposite Byron Maxwell and, and be an impact player for this defense. And actually have a secondary in Miami now that makes the front seven look better and vice versa. So, I mean, it's definitely a huge cure-all there. Um, they still need that run defender in the middle. So either which way they go, I think it's a huge boost to this defense. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And, you know, there there are a couple of players, and this is a very realistic situation of how the NFL draft is going to unfold in the first 12 picks. I don't expect Zeke, Ronnie Stanley, or Hargraves to be there. I the odds of one of them falling to 13 is actually pretty decent. I would say it's around that 50-50 mark that that one actually falls because you only really need one to fall. My board, the way I would have it, uh, is very similar to Brian's. First, my number one would be Kevin Dodd. I happen to be higher on him than a lot of other people in the draft. I actually have him close, ranked very closely with Ezekiel Elliott uh, if, if Zeke were on the board. Right here. Uh, I think Kevin Dodd would be a monster in the 4-3 defense, this wide nine scheme. The the black mark against him is that he only has one year of production, but it was a pretty darn good year. Looks the part, and I think he can go from 6'5", 270 to 6'5", 285 pretty easily and get a lot of sacks for the Dolphins. Number two would be Jack Conklin for me. Uh, I think this is a player, whether you have him at guard, whether you have him at left tackle, whether you have him at right tackle, and think about flipping Jawan James over to left tackle in the future, then uh, could be a distinct possibility. But this is a guy that is going to be a heck of a, of a football player, add toughness to your team, regardless of, of the spot that he plays. I think he's one of the safest players in the entire draft. And then if I had to go for my third pick, it would be probably Eli Apple, the cornerback from Ohio State, uh, where uh, you talk about somebody who's 6'1", 205 pounds, one of the youngest players in the draft, ran a 4-4, has two years of experience at Ohio State. And then you can have two big long corners on the outside with Byron Maxwell and with, with Eli Apple. So you, we've talked about – there, uh, what, what we what we would do if we were the general manager, myself personally, what I think they're going to do, um, if I had to guess, uh, and this is not my pick, so I'll throw it right back to Brian to touch up on this. Uh, I, I think their pick's going to be Will Jackson, the cornerback from Houston, even though it's a it's, it's significant reach, because you have to ask yourself, why were the Dolphins so comfortable dro- dropping from 8 to 13? And I think they made a decision right then and there uh, weeks ago that they were going to be drafting a cornerback and solidifying the position that way. It makes no other sense why they haven't signed anybody at that cornerback spot. So I, I, I think they've kind of backed themselves into, into a corner a little bit here at cornerback in the first round, just like they did a few years ago with Juwan James in the first round. Brian, I'll throw it to you. So who do you think the Dolphins are actually going to take? 
Well, I, I want to touch on two things real quick. Going back to Conklin, why I have him number one is this is a guy that can play guard this year, move to left tackle when Brandon Albert leaves, uh, or or even go to right tackle and switch Juwan mm-hmm. James over. And, and I think it makes the most sense. You're protecting your future with the present. However, as much as I like Eli Apple, there is some problems with his game. He grabs jerseys too much, and I think that's a red flag. Cat, you kind of stole my thunder because my pick here is William Jackson, the third out of Houston. I think the Dolphins are very high on him. The people that I've talked to suggest that the Dolphins are very high on him, and I think that this is where this pick is going to be. Don't be surprised. Mike Tannenbaum likes to make moves on draft day. I'm not going to be surprised if the Dolphins utilize their entire time to move back a little bit further, maybe around 18 or 19, and take – William Jackson at that spot because I think that they can still get him further down and if there's corners like McKenzie Alexander and Eli Apple still on the board Fuller's now healthy uh, he's got that medical clearance Jackson might be that guy that they can target a couple spots down but since we're not trading William Jackson the third is the Dolphins pick at 13. I really wish now I didn't say that and because I completely stole your thunder on that. Uh, no, Paul, okay. so we've got you, Will Jackson you validated you validated my pick. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it then. So, Paul, uh, we've got Will Jackson coming off the board here at 13. Realistically, who do you think the Dolphins are going to take? Um, realistically, I do think it's going to be um, either Raglan or Apple here, uh, even though I do like William Jackson. I, I just think with Apple there, I know he is a little physical and grabs jerseys a little bit. Uh, Vance Joseph has a history of the guys that get a little physical and grab jerseys a little bit, if not even more egregious things. And, and doing well with those guys. So I think Eli Apple's a good fit for Vance Joseph and his defense. And I think that Joseph is a good fit for Apple. So it, it's a very good thing there. But I, I really would love to see him go Raglan just because that linebacking core, if they can stay healthy, would suddenly be absolutely dynamic. And you could free up some Coamisi money to go after Josh Norman. So there is that. Very interesting. Uh, so now, here we are at 13. Uh, Will Jackson, we're going to have him coming off the board because this is Brian Miller's pick. 14, Oakland Raiders. Paul, who are you giving him? Uh, you, you guys actually stole my thunder a little bit. Uh, I'm going to throw Kevin Dodd their way, and I don't even need to pimp the guy because uh, we've already talked about him. Kevin Dodd, right there, number 14 to the Raiders. They do have a pass rush need as well. Now you look at the Tennessee Titans at 15. You've got to think that they made out like bandits. They got an incredible amount from the Rams, what, two second-rounders, two-thirds, and an extra uh, one next year. Uh, have six of the first 76 picks in the draft, and they probably would have taken Laramie Tunzel with that first pick. Now they fall down to 15, and they see on the board two offensive tackles still there, Jack Conklin uh, and Taylor Decker. I'm going to go ahead and give them Jack Conklin. Uh, It allows them to keep Taylor Lewan at that left tackle spot, gives them two bookends to protect Marcus Mariota, uh, fills their biggest need, and they got a buttload of picks after that. Brian... Um, Miller is on the clock here with the 16th pick with the Detroit Lions. Yeah, this is going to be interesting because Detroit needs defensive end help in a bad, bad way, but they also need defensive tackle help as well. And I think that's where we're going to see Jerron Reed come out. Reed is a player that's projected somewhere between 10 and 25. The top defensive ends are going to be out. They're going to be gone by the time Detroit comes on the clock. And I think Reed is a good fit out of Alabama He's got that experience to play against bigger schools, and I think that the Detroit Lions would be uh, it would be a smart move on their part to take somebody 
that's got that kind of experience. Not being the case, you got the Atlanta Falcons on the board here, and they're looking at the board going, holy crap, our guy fell to us. And they're going to go out and get a little bit of receiving help uh, to help out that offense and go out and grab Laquan Treadwell and take him off the board and, and really give them another dynamic receiver to throw out there. Treadwell, that, that's an interesting one, given, that, especially given they have Julio Jones and um, also signed Muhammad Sanu in, in free agency. So they're really overstocking the, the receiver position there. But maybe that's what you've got to do. Uh, so mm-hmm. now here we, we are at number 18 with, with the Indianapolis Colts. Could go a lot of different ways. I, I think they're very happy at this point in the draft to see Taylor Decker still on the board, the tackle from Ohio State. Uh, they've got to protect Andrew Luck. Uh, he's, he's had the team on his back for years, and now – uh, you look at last year, finally, it was too much for him. Uh, if you put Taylor Decker at right tackle, you can move Jack Mehord into the guard position to strengthen two spots, keep uh, Andrew Andrew Luck a little bit cleaner in the pocket. Taylor Decker is the pick from Ohio State. And now we're down to 19 to the Buffalo Bills and Brian Miller. And Brian is just absolutely speechless here with hey, the number you know, 19 it, pick. Unlike, I'm unlike Rex Ryan. I'm my microphone on. I'm doing this on my phone. <laughs> and, I, and, and I'm trying to mute it. I'm trying to be considerate. The Buffalo Bills are going to obviously go defense. They, that's where they have their needs at. Their defense was not up to where Rex Ryan hoped it would be last year. There's two different ways they can go. They can go defensive and outside linebacker, or they're going to go with defensive tackle. I think they're going to go defensive tackle with Alabama's Ashawn Robinson. They're going to have an all-Alabama defensive interior up there in Buffalo. Well, if the Bills go ahead and do that, then uh, the Jets are going to follow very quickly and, and pull the guy I'm hoping ends up being a Dolphin off the board. And it'll be the eventual David Harris replacement, uh, and he'll play alongside him up until then. And that's Reggie Ragland uh, out of Alabama. So now here we are um, with the number 21 pick and the Washington Redskins. And I'm going to throw a little bit. We've kind of been going down down the line pretty consistently here with, with what we're seeing. So I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here, and I'm going to give them running back Derrick Henry from Alabama. When you look at the Washington Redskins, they lost Alfred Morris in free agency. They have Matt Jones, a third-round pick from last year, but he only averaged three and a half yards a carry, more of a tall thin, fast back. I guess you can say a poor man's Todd Gurley. Derrick Henry really adds that power element to the, the offense, and I think that that you're with this pick, you've got that thunder and lightning combo for the Washington Redskins along with Kirk Cousins. So number 22, we've got the Houston Texans. And Brian Miller. I'm sorry. I said, who did you take at 21? I, I missed you. Oh, Derek 21. Henry. Henry. Okay. Running back. Okay. I've got Will Fuller, wide receiver, Notre Dame, going to the Houston Texans. If there's one thing that we learned last year, outside of, of uh, DeAndre Hopkins, they really didn't have anybody. They've got their quarterback in Brock Osweiler. They've got to get somebody, Paul, to take some of that pressure off of the uh, the running game. Obviously, Lamar Miller. So that's going to take us to uh, to the next pick, 23. And I think we're going to have a back-to-back wide receiver selection here. And I think the Vikings are actually going to go out and grab Josh Doxson. Um, I think he's a guy that can come in and be a lot uh, with Teddy Bridgewater 
And, you know, obviously we all know the Mike Wallace experiment didn't work up there. So bringing Josh Doxson in gives Bridgewater that target that he can throw to on a regular basis. And, and I think it's a really good circumstance where he'll get to excel. And really to complete the wide receiver run, I'm going to go ahead and give them a Baylor wide receiver, Corey Coleman. They lost uh, several players in free agency, lost Marvin Jones to the, to the Lions, lost Mohamed Sanu to the Falcons, did sign Brandon LaFell from the Patriots, but he can never seem to stay healthy. They really add an element of speed here with, uh, with Corey Coleman to, to their receiving core. So the Cincinnati Bengals at 24 go with wide receiver Corey Coleman. So now we're all the way down, zipping on by to the Steelers at 25. Yeah, the Steelers are pretty much going to have to go cornerback. As you mentioned, they, they released one of their corners not too long ago within the last week. And I think this is the spot that we're going to see Eli Apple of Ohio State go off the board. Um, I think it's a little bit high for Artie Burns, which some mocks have, have him going to. And McKenzie Alexander seems to be dropping almost to the end of round one, if not into round two. I think Eli Apple would be a perfect fit for the physical defense that uh, Pittsburgh runs. Well, that being the case, we all know the Seahawks love their, their defense. They need some help on the offensive line desperately. But if they're sitting here and, and Darren Lee is still sitting on the board, who is borderline top 10 on a lot of people's draft boards, and can come in and play outside linebacker for these guys, they're not going to pass them up. They always draft for talent and then figure out a way to use it. And with Darren Lee sitting there on the board at Ohio State, Pete Carroll's going to grab him in a heartbeat. So now we're down to the number 27 pick, Green Bay Packers. Have a couple of needs, linebacker, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, defensive line. We continue to see some of the defensive tackles come off the board. I'll give them Andrew Billings, the defensive tackle from Baylor. Uh, To me, kind of that fire hydrant-looking player, that nose tackle at 6'1", 315 pounds. Um, and the Packers could really use a, a player like that uh, along their defensive line because um, they, they need to get a little bit better against the run and need a little bit of inside push there on passing downs too. So Andrew Billings is the pick. We're all the way down to number 28 and the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, we're flying through this. Uh, I think we're going to see another cornerback come off the board here, and I think this is where we're going to see Kendall Fuller uh, come off. Uh, Fuller, with his, with his uh, medical clearance, I think he's – going to jump back into the top of the uh, or the bottom half of the of the first round and I think it's a perfect fit for Kansas City who desperately need some of the uh, uh, some help at cornerback especially with Sean Smith now leaving yeah I definitely would 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 think that that could be the case Uh, and then you're going to look at the Cardinals here uh, who who definitely have a few areas of need oh wait you just did the Cardinals didn't you Oh no, you didn't. Okay. No, 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 no. He did. Um, he did the Chiefs. You've got the Cardinals. Yeah. Um, so you're going to see the Cardinals go offense here because they've already got a stellar defense and give a little protection uh, for Carson Palmer to try to keep him healthy through a whole season. And they're going to go ahead and grab Taylor Decker right off that board. Off the board. He's off the board. Taylor, ta- yeah, Taylor Decker went eight, went 18 to Indianapolis. Oh, that's, that's my bad. I apologize. We're, we've got about eight windows open doing these. Oh, hey, um, believe me, we, we've been zipping through this. So there's no apology, no apology <laughs> necessary. So, so while you take a look there, yeah, looking at the at the Cardinals' needs, you've, you've got offensive line, pass rusher, 
maybe a future quarterback here for uh, to succeed Carson Palmer. You've also got the cornerback spots, Mackenzie Alexander, Artie Burns still on the board. Uh, T.J. Green and Von Bell, two safeties who could sneak into the first round. So still a lot of options. I'd say Arizona would be pretty happy to see this board right now. I think they're going to actually go ahead and stick with that offensive line mean, and bring in Ryan Kelly um, out of Alabama to help out along there. Yeah, that'd be. In fact, I would say that that's the, probably their biggest need right now at center. Um, uh, Lyle Sunline has been a, uh, a warrior for them, but you know, started to tail off in recent years. No longer with the team. AQ Shipley, who's I, I, five foot ten and a half. This this guy is AQ Shipley, the center for the Cardinals. You get really a Pro Bowl caliber center in there. So now we go to uh, to number thirty in the Carolina Panthers. You know, they always seem to throw a, a surprising pick out. I was surprised two years ago with Kelvin Benjamin. I was surprised last year when they took Shaq Thompson. I, I thought both of them were reaches, but, you know, really look to be very good picks for them. So, you know, it, it, it throws a whole different wrench into this with Josh Norman leaving, potentially leaving. You know, the Panthers could re-sign them, but uh, I don't, I don't, think that's going to happen. I expect him to go to a different team. So now that really makes a cornerback a pretty big need for them. Um, I'm going to give them um, Artie Burns, the cornerback from Miami. Um, a little bit raw, a little bit rough around the edges. A lot of our Dolphins fans probably have seen the best and the worst of him as a Miami Hurricane. Did have four picks last year. I'd say everything with him is is just raw not necessarily, you know, something that uh, that's a major physical flaw with him. So Carolina Panthers cornerback Artie Burns with the 30th pick. Denver Broncos to close out the first round of Brian Miller. I think you hit it on the head with Carolina, too. There definitely is a need. Keep an eye on Carolina. There's a possibility that this is a team that could try to move up in the draft to get somebody if, they, if they're starting to be a run on corner. Um, 31st pick. Denver's got a lot of problems right now on the defensive side of the ball where they've lost quite a few players. Von Miller still hasn't signed his, his deal. Uh, he'll probably sign his franchise tag at some point, but uh, they've lost a few players. However, there's no discounting the fact that they cannot enter the 2016 season with Mark Sanchez as their quarterback. I'm giving them Paxton Lynch. I think they'll be thrilled if he's here. Uh, and it makes sense for them. It'll give them somebody to develop and allow Mark Sanchez to play throughout the first half of the season uh, and let Lynch develop. So I think we're going to round out the first with a quarterback, and I think that Denver would be smart to do that. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about trade-ups as well. The Carolina Panthers, if they do see – uh, a cornerback maybe that they really like. Maybe it is an Eli Apple, maybe Vernon Hargreaves, although I kind of like the Dolphins to take them themselves at 13. Uh, th- those could be some different options for them. But Denver, too, you know, if you've got the uh, the quarterbacks going one and two, Denver may be looking to trade up into the middle of that right. first round under fear that maybe the New York Jets at, at 20 are – Arizona Cardinals at 29 to get an heir apparent to Carson Palmer. They could be looking to trade up in the middle of the first round to make sure that they have a quarterback that at least is not going to embarrass them over the long term. Paxton Lynch has a lot of potential, and I think he would be a steal at 31. So we're going to get Chris Kaufman on the line here in about five or ten minutes. But before that, debriefing this, still some extremely talented players on the board as we head into the second round. Dolphins pick 42nd, so – 
still a lot of talent there, and I would be reasonably excited to see this board here at the end of the first day heading into the second. So I'll, I'll run through a couple of names here, and uh, you guys let me know if anybody really jumps off the page at you. Uh, Paxton Lynch was the last pick, so um, we've got the way I see it, we've got quarterback Connor Cook out of Michigan State. Um, we have, uh, looking down, LaRaven Clark, the tackle out of Texas Tech. Cody Whitehair, the guard out of Kansas State, who could be a day one star starter for the Miami Dolphins at that left guard spot. Three interesting pass rushers. Leonard Floyd from Georgia, who a lot of people do have going in the middle of that first round. I would say at this point, if the, if the draft were to unfold this way, he'd be tremendous value at this spot, depending on if you like him. Noah Spence from Eastern Kentucky um, dropped a lot after running a poor 40 time and uh, just not very impressive workouts. And Emmanuel Ogba, defensive end from Oklahoma State. Defensive tackle, you still have Robert Ken- Kendiche, Chris Jones, Vernon Butler, Kenny Clark, good depth there. And then a cornerback, Mackenzie Alexander from Clemson. Uh, you know, I heard on from Daniel Jeremiah the other day when he was on his podcast that he's heard rumors that Mackenzie Alexander did not impress very well in those one-on-one interviews with the team and it could fall potentially – to the mid to late second round. So we'll, we'll see how things go there. Also, TJ Green, his teammate from Clemson, is starting to move up boards too. Great size, speed guy, a little bit tall and, and rangy and rough around the edges, but has that talent. And Von Bell from Ohio State as well may be able to get some looks at cornerback. So, um, guys, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out to you. In fact, I'll throw it to you first, Paul. Is there anybody you see here on the board in the draft that maybe you would take a look at, uh, excuse me, I'll rephrase that. Is there anybody you see on the board that you're really hoping falls to 42 to the Dolphins? Um, Leonard Floyd and Nkundishi are, are the two guys that I'm looking at going, wow, I can't believe they're still there. And if, if they're still there and Miami's able to go ahead and make a move for them, they're able to free up some cap space for, for, uh, Norman here. If, um, if if they go ahead and get Ndichi, or I mean, if they get Leonard Floyd, they're they're able to really supplement their linebacking core. So, but either one of those guys, I, I'd be absolutely ecstatic to see fall to Miami. A lot of talent there, Brian. How about you? Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting. Noah Spence is really high on my board, and if he falls down to that to the 42nd pick, I would be very hard-pressed not to take him. He fills a need. This is a guy that's got a, a nonstop motor. Another guy to look out for, too, is if the Dolphins, if the draft at the top falls the way Miami wants it to, and there, or not the way they want it to, and there's not a cornerback on that board for them, or maybe Elliott does fall, Another guy to keep an eye out for is Xavier Howard, the other cornerback um, who's projected to go middle second round as well. Um, he's out of Baylor, and, and he's, he's a really good prospect here. Like Paul, uh, Kim Dietschy's a, another prospect. I mean, there's a lot of options at the top of this draft. A lot of, a lot of experts are saying this is not a deep draft, and it's not, but – there is quality throughout the first three rounds. And there may not be a lot of blue-chip prospects, but there's a lot of prospects that can help any team, especially the Dolphins who have a lot of holes to fill. And we can't discount the offensive guard position where a guy like Vlad Alexander could go. Yeah, I really like what you said there in terms of the value. And and to me, at 42, where the Dolphins start picking, is really where the value – starts to pick up between, you know, the middle of the second round and the end of the third round tends to be where, where that value is. So I'm not even against the Dolphins at 42 trading down a little bit 
uh, if there's not somebody there they particularly like. Leonard Floyd would be an interesting one. I don't expect him to be there at 42. I, you know, I think he will go somewhere in the first round. We just didn't really have a place to put him. Um, interesting guy at Georgia. They moved him off the ball a little bit too much. Um, but when you look at him just sticking his ears back and going after the quarterback, it's confusing why they didn't didn't do that. I, I think he'd factor in as a defensive end here for the Dolphins um, if, if he were the pick uh, anywhere. Uh, you know, first round, second round, it doesn't matter where. Can really fly off the edge. Needs a lot of refinement. Built very very tall and thin. Other interesting players. I, I'm with you, Brian. Xavier. How I was thinking about having him go 30th to, to Carolina. Uh, six foot tall, 210 pounds, r- runs about a 4-4. I think he can really turn his hips and run for a guy his size. I love in the second round. I would love the picks of either Xavier Howard um, or Kavari Russell from Notre Dame, who, who I've always been high on too. So there is some definite talent there in the second round. Yeah, and the thing I like about Howard is, is this is a guy – that is really a prototypical cornerback. When you think about size and speed and you talk about the twitch of a cornerback, this guy's got it. Unlike players like Eli Apple and to some degree even um, uh, Mackenzie Alexander, he's got the capability to stay on the long ball. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander is really good up front. He's very physical and and he's attacking uh, on run support but he kind of lacks that deep speed to be able to stick with some of the speedier wide receivers, in which case you're going to need to use safety help. This guy, Xavier Howard, is one of those guys that could probably stay with a receiver a good 30 yards downfield before he needs that help. So there's a lot of potential there in the second round if the Dolphins need to look at that. And to be honest with you, I am not opposed to Miami doing a a cornerback, cornerback draft in round one and round two. They've done it once before with Sean Smith and Vontae Davis. This would protect them next year if Byron Maxwell doesn't work out when his contract goes up. This is a good opportunity if some of these players fall to double up on that corner position and protect the future. That's a great point, Brian, and I, I would be all for that as well, uh, depending who's on the board. Uh, if, if you're telling me that the Dolphins yeah, – I, I wouldn't be thrilled with Will Jackson at 13 like we talked about. I think that what – that's my guess of what's going to happen. He or Eli Apple at that 13 spot. But if you're telling me the Dolphins in the first two rounds can come away with Vernon Hargreaves and Xavier Howard, uh, I think that you may have the same type of uh, production with Vontae Davis and, and Sean Smith. Uh, I just wish that the Dolphins had held on to both of those guys and had a coaching sk- staff in a scheme that was more sort of suited to to their talents. Because now you look at them, they're Pro Bowl cornerbacks, and we saw none of the fruits of of those labors uh, while they were here in Miami. A few other players who are still left on the board, uh, Cody Whitehair could be a day one starter there at left guard. I think he's he's been a little bit overhyped from the beginning. I didn't like to see him in the mid to late first round. I thought he was more of a mid to late second round guy, so I'd be okay with him at 42. Um, Noah Spence has good pass rush moves, but you know I, I think he's more of a 3-4 type of player. Vernon Butler from Louisiana Tech would be really the apple of my eye here, uh, even though defensive tackle is not really a big need for the Dolphins. I, this is a player I think reminds me a lot of former Jet Chris Jenkins, 6-4, 330 pounds, um, really physically looks the part. I think it would be a tough sell to the Miami Dolphins fans, given that we took Jordan Phillips last year, who was a big type of player in need of development, too. LaRaven Clark is somebody that CK has talked about here over the recent weeks, has some of the tackle guard versatility. So speaking of um, 
CK Parrott and what he what he has on his mind here as we're just eight days away from the NFL draft. See to talk about the defensive line and the linebacker position. CK, how you doing tonight? Doing great. How you guys doing? Very good. So um, only eight days away. So are, are you? What's your mindset here, uh, heading up into the NFL draft just eight days before? Are you excited? Are you restless? Is it is it a combination of a lot of things? Uh, it's really just um, just annoyed because uh, this <laughs> draft should have already happened by now. Uh, this is the draft is always about two weeks too late. It used to be earlier, and uh, there's always a point about two weeks before the draft. When you you know I turn around and I say it to to some of the other people that that follow the draft and and do you know what we do, and we always say the same thing. This should have happened already. What what are we doing? What are, why why do we have this this long this long extra stretch? Um, well, but that's the way the NFL wants it. So looking back at the the first draft I watched was 1996, uh, and. The first draft I really followed and watched every pick come off the board was 1998, and I know I remember that it was April 18th and 19th when Peyton Manning was the first overall pick. So yeah, I agree. Like, you know, what the heck are we doing? But we seem to be scaling it back and going a little bit, a little bit, a few days earlier every every year. So hopefully we'll circle back to that. So taking a look here at uh, defensive line and linebackers, we've talked about really. At some point, all the other positions, except really this front seven, and now the, the clock's ticking a little bit. So we're going to go through defensive line and linebackers, and who really jumps out to you? You know, taking a look at the first two players on the defensive line, or in no particular order, Joe, DeForest Buckner and Joey Bosa. Are those guys we can just go ahead and forget about and bypass with the Dolphins picking thirteenth? Well, uh, I wouldn't say that uh, that you could buy completely bypass. Um, DeForest Buckner. Joey Bosa, I think, you know, you have a right to say there's no way that he gets to 13. DeForest Buckner, you can probably say that, but you never know how the draft uh, really pans out. I mean, you got some teams that are looking at him as a defensive tackle, and that could that could really uh, impair his value uh, to some teams, and it could enhance his value to other teams, but... Um, I, I don't, DeForest Buckner, it's it's certainly possible. It's not very likely that he'd be there. And if he is there, then Miami would actually have to think about him. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I, I think it's it's fairly safe to to not think about those guys for now. Just keeping uh, Buckner in the back of your mind. Yeah, and the consensus third player on the board uh, at, at defensive end seems to be a player that you've been high on all along, and that's Shaq Lawson from Clemson defensive end you know uh, I'm getting out of the habit of saying would you pick this guy at 13 because they you know, it depends who's on the board uh, is this somebody that you would still consider here at 13 and do you think it's it's a possibility yeah I think well first off it is a possibility I think that the Dolphins are down to about four players uh, that I've heard of it probably breaks down into two players between Vernon Hargreaves and Ezekiel Elliott but uh, but they are keeping a very close eye on Miles Jack, um, and that's another situation we can talk about in a little bit. But um, And then the fourth guy really is Shaq Lawson, and the reason is not because it's a great need. It's not because, uh, you know, this would, this would fit necessarily and be a thousand-snap player on the roster, although they can find stats for him. It's, it's because they have him ranked so highly. Um, they only have a few elite players in this draft, uh, between like Miles Jack, Jalen Ramsey, um, and uh, and some guys 
like that. I think there's only three or four for them. Uh, and believe it or not, Shaq Lawson is up there. And believe it even believe it more, uh, Joey Bosa is not consensus to be up there uh, inside the Dolphins building. So uh, Shaq Lawson's a very good prospect. I mean, you're talking about the 270 pound guy with uh, with you know special. I guess uh, I guess you call it lateral burst, lateral mobility, agility. Um, he can burst forward also from a standing from a standing start. It's uh, it's special. He can give chase. He can. He's got a great motor complement that people use. But when you watch him play, you understand that it's it's actually a real complement because it refers to his uh, his ability to move within confined space and uh, and and I guess, um, you know, move with explosiveness. And that's what he can do. That's what he brings to the table. And in addition to that, you know, this is this is a guy off the field and, you know, in the film room and uh, that is really just checks out, you know, A-plus all the way. Um, he's a charity guy. He's a natural locker room guy. Everybody gravitates toward him. He was kind of, you know, the heart of the locker room kind of, kind of person. Um and I think that you look at him, what he does in the film room, studying guys like Reggie White and and absorbing their uh, their techniques and putting it on the field. You see that. Uh, so I, I think he gets a little bit of a bum bum rap because uh, because a lot of people took looked at him and came away thinking, well, he's not the athletic guy. He's the technique guy. He's the guy that uh, that really gets by because he's got good hands and he's polished and and has all these moves. But you know he's not really all that athletic. But then he shows up the combine and runs a four six flat just about at 270 pounds, a 10 foot broad jump. You know shuttle and cone drills that look comparable to corners. I think uh, I think some of those times might be comparable to uh, to guys like Xavier and Howard, you know, at the corner position. Um, and and yeah. what this is is really athletic, uh, athletic defensive end, uh, a special, I mean, spark score, spark calculation is something like in the 80th percentile or, or maybe even above that. So um, I think that he is a physically impressive guy for some reason, whether that be schematically, whether that be ta- uh, technique on his takeoff, uh, a lot of people didn't necessarily see it that way, and they're only kind of finding this out now. And they fall too easily into that narrative that oh, he doesn't, you know, he times better than he plays, and that sort. Of, well, no, I think I think when you have when you lead the nation in uh, tackles for loss, and you also have you know twelve and a half sacks or whatever he had, he was top five in sacks. I think I think it's not a matter of. You just you don't play as fast as you time, or you don't play as athletically. I think that athleticism was there. I think that athleticism was in play, and that's why he was such a super productive player. Um, right. But in addition yeah. to all that, you have the technique and you have the character. So I, I think it's really a home run. It's just a matter of you know these other needs that Miami has. So stay in there at thirteen. Say the Dolphins do go um, at defensive end. Uh... Is there anybody else that you see in terms of these edge rushers? You know, we've got Leonard Floyd. We've got Kevin Dodd, a player who, who I absolutely love. I Myself, I've always preferred Dodd and, and the upside and the athleticism and, and, and the bendiness and the edge rushing um, over the more powerful and more polished Shaq Lawson. So we've got Leonard Floyd, Kevin Dodd, 
Noah Spence, Emmanuel Ogba, maybe you can even throw a Carl Nassib in there. So taking a look at this, is there anybody else you would can, you think the Dolphins could consider there at 13? Well, I think, you know, getting first to Kevin Dodd, I wouldn't really consider him until the second round. I think when it comes to the comparison between Shaq Lawson and Kevin Dodd, you have to really keep in mind that Kevin Dodd won against all right tackles um, as as you go game to game. Shaq Lawson went against the left tackles. He went against the best offensive linemen on the opposing team. Uh, you look at some of the teams that Kevin Dodd, Dodd really destroyed, It was they were kind of bad right tackles. Um, and he was also the guy, he was the deep rush guy. He was the guy that uh, that was going to go take um, take the offensive tackle deep into his kick step, uh, kick step and go around the edge. Whereas Shaq Lawson was playing the under game. I think you have to keep in mind that a lot of these defensive ends play in combination with one another. With one another, one goes over and one goes under. And so Shaq Lawson had a little bit of a tougher time because he had to stay in his lane and go under. Um, Dodd is a good player. He was a slow developer. I think that you have to pay close attention to which games he was dominant in and against whom. Um, I think that he he would make a good second-round pick and a particularly good fit for Miami's defense, the wide nine defense. But I think if you're looking at the first round, then the only other two guys that I would look at, um, and I would probably not ultimately take them because I can't, I can't imagine that they're the best player, but who knows, um, is are Noah Spence and Emmanuel Agba. I know that Agba gets uh, gets some flack um, because some people look at the film and they they don't see a good player. I look at him and I particularly look at him in those wide sets and in those wide stances, and I try and uh, and isolate those instances because this is how he's going to translate to Miami. He's going to play from a wide uh, wide uh, alignment. And I, I I can't help but be intrigued. He he times out. He he's athletically he is uh, Zeke Ansah, but you know on film he really looks a little bit more like a Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, which is to say a little bit raw um, and still not even uh, totally completely comfortable in his own body with his own movement yet, but with this tremendous potential physical potential. And so I, I do see him as a worthwhile investment in the first round. Uh, and then Noah Spence is probably, ultimately speaking, the best pass rusher in this draft, uh, the best pure pass rusher in this draft. So you could take one of those two guys in the first round, and Miami is in the mid-first round. Let's not kid ourselves about about having a, a super high pick right now. We're at 13. So, you know, anybody that you, that you take that has a first-round grade is probably okay. And, and Emmanuel Ogba, looking at him too, 100% agree, big, athletic, a little bit on the raw side, there's there's some good games, there's some bad, but over the last two years, we're talking about a guy who has 23 sacks. So typically when you talk about a raw player, you're not talking about 23 sacks in his final two years of college football. Someone I, I really hope falls to Miami at 42 uh, is Emmanuel Ogba. I, I think he'd be a great fit, and especially with this wide nine scheme for the reasons you elaborated on, um, would be a, a fantastic pick. So, Taking a look there at, you know, we really covered, you know, the possibilities there at, at 42. Looking at the defensive ends and the edge rushers, uh, anybody really creeping up on you, somebody that Dolphins, hey, if they don't address this in the first and second round, with Wake, you know, 34 years old, Mario Williams, 31. Uh, as we get down a little bit further in the draft and maybe into the middle rounds, is there anybody that you think people are sleeping on? Well, I'm keeping a close eye on Bronson Kofusi from, uh, from BYU. 
Um, I think Paul knows that I've I've had my eye on him for a number of years. Actually, uh, I, I believe he once asked me for some for some tips to look for ahead of a BYU Connecticut game, and uh, and he was the first guy I talked about. I remember um, that, yeah. And so I, this is a guy that I'm keeping an eye on. He's, he's the son of a defensive line coach. He is a little bit older because he comes from BYU and he went on mission for uh, a couple of years. But um, but he's physically very impressive. He's physically very versatile. Uh, again, this is another guy with the the shuttle cone that you know would look would look uh, right in place amongst linebackers or even some defensive backs. Um, this is. I think this is a player that particularly you would be interested in in the wide nine uh, from a wider alignment, uh, getting, you know, getting uh, rushing the offensive tackle with a lot of space and being able to stunt freely or uh, to get around the edge. Uh, again, you, you look at the tape and you, you isolate the instances where you think that you can see translate into your scheme, and that's where he starts to go off the charts impressive. And so I'd be looking at him anywhere from the second round onward, to be honest. I think I put him right there with Kevin Dodd. Um, I think that he's, you know, an athletic specimen, a, uh, a very good player, son of a coach, uh, all around good pick and, and a scheme fit. So, I, you know, I would really keep an eye on him. So, CK, I was actually going to jump in and ask you about Kasusi, so I'm glad you pointed that out. I was curious if you remember that and – just so our listeners know, it was kind of funny. I asked CK and, and Ian and Kat about that, and I think it was the first play from scrimmage where Kafusi forced a uh, fumble, and then the other guy you pointed out in that game recovered it. So, I, I mean, that that goes to show you right there when you point out a guy to watch and he immediately does that. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> Very well. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, a big uh, Bronson – Kafusi, 6'7", 285 pounds, looking for that big base end uh, at, at defensive end. Could be an interesting fit, especially if, you know, the Dolphins really want to keep Cameron Wake fresh for third down, which really worked last year when they did have Derek Shelby under contract. So taking a look at the defensive tackle class, and I'll tell you, CK, I don't know really what to make of this this group here. You know, you've got I don't expect the Dolphins to take a defensive tackle at 12. In fact, you may not see a defensive tackle go in the top 15 picks or so. Um, and then we get into the second round, and I, I think that would could be a hard sell to Miami Dolphins fans, given that we took Jordan Phillips last year and, uh, you know, it played – Showed some promise at the defensive tackle position, but he's still coming around on that. I think it'd be a tough sell for defensive tackle there in the second round. But I look at this group, and, man, there's so many players here project that I've seen projected in the first two rounds, maybe as many as 12 or 13 players, all from Ashawn Robinson all the way down to, say, a Javon Hargrave from South Carolina State. So, you know, I'll throw it to you. What what do you make of this defensive tackle class? And do you think the Dolphins in the first two rounds should, depending on who's who's on the board, take a look at this position? Uh, well, what I make of it is, is you might even you might even be underselling how crowded it is because what you've got <laughs> to understand is that when you're looking at guys like Joey Bosa, Shaq Lawson, uh, Emmanuel Ogba, Kevin Dodd, and uh, and and the guy I mentioned, Bronson Kafusi. 
you're, and Jonathan Bullard is another guy to, to keep an eye on that Why Charles Tapper a little bit later on, you're looking at very big defensive ends that will move inside, that will be looked at inside on pass downs. So, and then I, another guy that I mentioned, DeForest Buckner, who is being regarded as a defensive end, I, I regard him more as a defensive tackle because that's where he's going to make a difference. He's going to make a difference playing a little bit more to the inside, depending on what scheme he goes to. It could be could be a 3-4, and then he'd be a 3-4 defensive end, and he'd be a little bit more straightforward that way. But um, you look at all these guys at defensive end, they're going to crowd in with the defensive tackles on those pass downs. And so you're looking at guys like uh, like in Kemadiche uh, and Chris Jones, and you're seeing some of the, some of the same things from them, or you're you're looking at them in the same situations that you're going to look at some of these defensive ends as well. It's real crowded in there. Um, I think that you do have a nice group of you know kind of more classic defensive tackles and Ashawn Robinson and uh, Kenny Clark particularly that they would come out at the top uh, for me, uh, Jerron Reed as well, um, Javon Hargrave, Hargrave and uh, Chris Jones, Sheldon Rankins. I like Hassan Ridgeway uh, quite a bit. I think that when you watch him on tape, it's it's he pops as far as his athleticism, his total package. Um, it reminds me a little bit of another guy uh, that I'm, try- I'm having trouble remembering his name now, but he went to the Browns and uh, – and he was a Phil defensive Taylor. tackle there for a while. Uh, no, no, he's, no. This guy's not not quite Phil Taylor. Uh, what, Xavier what was the other Cooper. Guy? Uh, well, no, that would be a great name though, uh, or a great great player to compare to. But no, not him either. Um, and it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I think Adam Gottes, the Georgia Tech player, belongs right up there in the conversation with everybody else. He gets forgotten because he took a knee injury. Uh, but this is another guy that fits the same mold as those defensive ends and will be used in some of the same situations. And actually, I mean, it's, it's a shame he never got to time out because Gotsas probably would have grabbed some, some headlines for his uh, total package of athleticism and mobility. A kid from Australia uh, came over, you know, just one of those Uber athletes and found his way into Georgia Tech. And they used him a lot of nose tackle, even though, you know, they could have used him at defensive end. Anybody could have used him at defensive end. Um, I've actually seen him compare a little bit to to J.J. Watt on film at at times. Uh, You know, it's a really crowded situation. I I think that if you're Miami, the way that you leverage this, first off, you have to come away with one of these guys. Uh, You could come away with some of the outside, outside guys, too. You know, the, the, those would be the Noah Spence or the uh, Shalik Calhoun, one of those guys, or maybe Tyrone Holmes. Um, and you could come away with one of those guys, but I think you got to focus on coming away with one of these bigger guys, one of these bigger players, either at defensive end or defensive tackle, that could play sort of in a wide three technique. Uh, and what I mean by it is you're, you're ultimately playing a three technique because you're playing in the B gap. Uh, you'd be lining up more like an inside shaded four. Um, and this is particularly something you find in the wide nine. Uh, I think that you, you find a guy that can play in those roles and play like that and rush the outside shoulder of the guard. And that's where you get, you know, some of the, some of the more uh, funky aspects of the wide nine with the ability to stunt based on, uh, based on the threats of all that spacing. 
Uh, I think that that's what Miami has to look at. I think they have to look at coming away. That's why I say DeForest Buckner is not out of the question if he gets to 13 overall, because you could look at him in that role. You could look at um, and Kemadiche in that role, depending on where he falls to. Chris Jones, you know, Shaq Lawson, I mentioned that they could find snaps for him. The reason they could find snaps for him is because you not only rotate with Cameron Wake or uh, and Mario Williams on, on base downs, he would actually move inside in those other situations and play that wide three or that inside shaded four, whatever you want to call it. Um, and he'd probably end up with 800 snaps as a rookie. Uh, so I think that Miami does have to find a way to get one of these guys. Luckily, it's so deep that they could even do that in the fourth round and come away with a pretty good player. Even though defensive tackle is not a huge need for the Dolphins, I think it would be a shame if they didn't come away in the first few rounds with one of these literally 15 or 16 guys that are probably going to be off the board, not including you know, the Charles Tappers and those guys that can move inside uh, at defensive tackle on those pass downs. Chris Jones is an interesting one because he's a player I, I've watched a lot of, and I, I saw him just destroy Mizzou's offensive line last season and had a few games like that. And then you have some other games where the guy just completely looks uninterested in playing football. So if you light a fire under Chris Jones from Mississippi State, I think that you're going to get uh, an amazing player. And I think you can, to some extent, say the same thing about Sean Robinson and Robert Kendall. DJ too, but Jones is the one I really have my eye on. So looking at the linebacker position, uh, Chris, it's hard to get into this without mentioning uh, Miles Jack first and foremost. Uh, you know, the, there were some reports coming out that his knee was kind of hit and miss with a few different teams, whether that's, you know, smoke screen for players who maybe who at, you know, five, six, and seven are taking a real look at Miles Jack for that spot and hope he falls there. What do you make of that situation? Do you see Miles Jack still going in the top ten, or do you think it's a realistic possibility that he falls to the Dolphins at 13? Well, it's a realistic possibility because, first off, let's take a step back for a moment and and take ourselves out of, you know, we've got our nose pressed into this draft, and so, you know, we we think we know what we know. But this is a six foot one, 240-pound linebacker uh, who played – three games in 2015 or not even three games, something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And hasn't even been healthy enough to, you know, put any of his times or athleticism on, on paper, uh, you know, so that they can compare it with other players. Um, This is not, and we come from uh, coming from a position where you've seen guys like, you know, Keekly and Pat Willis fall into the, you know, the nine 11 range, um, and you've seen other good linebackers fall to, to that area. Let's take a step back and realize that, this, you know, this can happen. I mean, you can, you can get a Miles Jack falling into number 13, and it's not something that should be setting off all kinds of alarms. That's what I keep hearing is if he falls to 13 overall, then something is seriously, seriously wrong, and then we've got to be worried if Miami takes him. Well, no, not really. Uh, he is not healthy right now uh, as far as being able to play in a game. Um, there is some question about his meniscus. Uh, he tore his meniscus. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to sound like a doctor, but it's just because I've, I've talked to some orthopedic uh, surgeons about it. And, you know, when, with a torn meniscus and some questions about it, 
The problem is that he may need to have further surgery on it and have the meniscus removed or a piece of the meniscus removed, and that would be a six-week recovery. Now, the the downside of that is just a six-week recovery because you can play without a meniscus. You don't need it. Uh, it's not one of those things that's going to plague you your entire career. This is a uh, – you can only worry about it in the long, long term. We're talking about more than 10 years down the road. Uh, Dwayne Wade, for instance, with the Miami Heat, uh, has has that problem without a meniscus. And, you know, his, his knee only started really getting funky 10-plus uh, years down the road, and this guy plays, you know, every third day uh, on the floor. And he and, – is a lot of wear and tear on that that knee. It's a lot more than probably a, a linebacker even. So, you know, if you have the meniscus removed, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, what is a big deal is if the scans right now show articular damage uh, or damage to the articular uh, cartilage. And if that was happening, you wouldn't be hearing mixed signals. You wouldn't be hearing, you know, some teams are okay with it, some teams are not okay with it, you know, choose your own. It's if that were the case, if there was a if there was you know an osteochondral uh, defect as has been put to me, um, then you would be hearing really really bad things, and this guy would be dropping like a stump. You don't hear that, so I'm pretty confident that's not actually what's happening. Um, so, so I think that's the worst case quick surgery. Yes, it it seems to be me and you against. Uh... Ian Wharton and uh, and Paul on on Miles Jack. Not to say they're not saying he's not a good player, not worth a first round pick. I I'll tell you this: you talk about putting your nose in things. If Miles Jack is okay, and you, you say that it, what's possible is that you know this meniscus could just be a six week rec- you know injury or recovery, whenever that happens, that's something that's in play. If this guy can be on the field, and I can see what I what I saw of out of him at UCLA. He is the number one player on my Dolphins board. And I think that to have a linebacker like this is like having a better version of Thomas Davis from the Panthers. They can legitimately go with three with a 4-3 defense and play three linebackers throughout the whole game with the coverage skills of Thomas Davis, Luke Keekley, and now uh, Shaq, Shaq Thompson from last year. And I think Miles Jack, you can put him at outside linebacker. He, he can legitimately cover a slot receiver if he were asked to do it. Not all over the field, but he could do it. And I think when you add something like that to your defense, that makes a heck of a difference. If the Dolphins do trade up in any situation, I do hope it's for Miles Jack. Uh, I would say that the Dolphins agree with you 100% um, on your assessment. And Fantastic. It's not, just, it's not just these media evaluators and uh, Twitter, draft Twitter and stuff like that. It's it's actually the Dolphins believe that he is, I mean, the scouts inside the building believe that he is the best athlete, you know, pound for pound that they've ever scouted, that they've ever evaluated. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not lying. I'm not making that up. Um, I have good sources on that. They are very, very high on him. And, you know, there's, there's joking it's not actually going to happen because he's going to be too valuable on defense and he's going to play every single snap of defense if he's healthy. But uh, if there's joking about tossing him in at running back uh, on the offensive side because, you know what, he's being evaluated by some teams as, you know, a potential emergency running back, and he would be a mid-rounder as a running back. I mean, that's, that's how good he is. He's one of those running backers that, uh, you know, that you see in college football. You've seen a couple of others 
uh, Shaq Thompson you mentioned before, um, and uh, Anthony Barr, was, I believe, was a running back uh, before he, he became uh, yep. a defensive end, outside linebacker. Uh, he's one of those running backers, and, and, and you could put him on offense, and you could actually you could actually get good carries out of him in an emergency situation. I, it's not ever going to happen, but uh, he's being evaluated that way, that this is just an incredible, incredible athlete, uh, a unique player. Uh, some people believe he's the best player in the draft period. Um, the Dolphins are, I don't know if they have them as the number one or not. I know that they have them among the top three or top two, uh, with others being Jalen Ramsey. And, uh, and they have, like I said, they have a good grade on Shaq Lawson and, and, uh, and one or two other guys. So, um, yeah, they, they share your opinion. I th- they think he's a unique player. They would love to have him. They are completely in love with him off the field. Um, and there's there are a lot of reasons why this is a mm-hmm. student of the game, a true student of the game. Uh, he's playing chess. You know, other people are playing checkers. So um, yeah, I mean, it would be a home run for them uh, if they could pull it. Right. So I'm going to phrase a question to both of you. Cat, I'll go to you first, and CK, I'll just jump right in when Cat's when done. So. Kat, we've talked when we've talked about Reggie Ragland about the possibility of him being a two-down linebacker if he's in Miami. But if Miami did go out and get Miles Jack, I had him, Kiko Alonso, and um, God, I always do this, play a linebacker. Could you realistically see a scenario where all three linebackers actually stay out there on third down and you see Jack going to the corner? And what would your thoughts be around that? You know, that's a great question, Paul. And looking at that, uh, my answer is yes. I I think looking at that model in Carolina with Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, and and Shaq Thompson, I think if you look at Kiko Alonso, Jelani Jenkins, and Miles Jack, I think you absolutely could do that. You may sacrifice a little bit on run defense, but... You know, I keep going back to I don't really give a damn that much about run defense in today's NFL as long as you're not terrible at it. What we saw a few times last year, like against Buffalo, where Shady McCoy and Carlos Williams are running the ball down our throats, that's unacceptable. But I think coverage is one of the most important things you can have at linebacker in today's NFL. Chris, I'll throw it to you on that too. Well, I think one thing you have to keep an eye out for is um, based on – based on the players that they've been interested in and players that they've been looking at, uh, you know, I kind of wonder where, what Jelani Jenkins future is with Miami. Um, because, you know, it looks almost like they're, they're preparing to move on without him. It looks almost quite honestly, like they have a buyer on him this year. Um, so, you know, that's, that's something to keep in the back of your mind, but yeah, I mean, Miles Jack, Miles Jack can play like a defensive back. That's one of the draws for him. Uh, you wouldn't do that in against every offensive personnel package that could go on the field, um, but he does give you the ability to have an extra linebacker on the field in situations that other teams would not. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that's, that's probably what you're looking at. You can look at him. Other teams will have a package that they call big nickel. Um, you know, big nickel for Miami would be base. Uh, because Miles Jack is uh, is such a uh, combination player, so um, so yeah, and they would not view themselves as being really a uh, you know having a downside against the run either because I think that uh, you know he's such a good uh, combination run and hit player, and also they ha- they are very confident that they have two safeties 
with experience as in-the-box safeties that they could get involved in the run game as needed as well. So, you know, if you think of it as a big nickel, which means five defensive backs, but one, that, that extra defensive back is usually a safety. That's what a big nickel usually is. Um, you know, you could think of that as Miami's base, and that's not going to be a problem because Miles Jack is a good player and because Miami has other safeties that can really run the alley and come down on, on and help in the run game. Uh, but it would give them right. a great advantage against the pass. Yeah, so we've talked about Reggie Ragland to death on this show with you, with Paul, uh, for the last several weeks here. So we're going to bypass Reggie Ragland. You know, he's going to factor somewhere in the first round. He's a two-down player, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, Darren Lee is an interesting guy. Now, I know, Chris, something you said about a month ago led me to believe you're not a very big fan of, of Darren Lee. You may have actually said the words, I'm not a big fan of Darren Lee. Um, Probably where do you in those see words. <laughs> where do you see him factor in? I, I'd imagine your your remote's going through the TV if, if he's the pick at 13. Uh it's not that uh, it's not that I'd be angry about it. It's just that I don't see anything really special about him. Um, in fact, when I look, you know, and I don't, I want to take a question about Darren Lee and talk about Dion uh, Dion Jones. But when I look at the two, I actually prefer Dion Jones. Um, so I, it's just not it's just a matter of not standing out to me in terms of his instincts in terms of, uh, you know, his ability to, to you know, take on run fits and, and do a good job that way and really display his athleticism. When I watch Deion Jones, for instance, play at LSU, what I see is immediately, almost immediately off the snap, uh, the, the decisiveness and instincts to use that uncanny, absolute, you know, insane acceleration and speed uh, immediately and make an impact. And I, I just don't see that with Darren Lee. I know that there are fans of his out there and, and ultimately, Hey, you're getting a, you're getting a linebacker that was, uh, was productive and experienced on a, on a good defense at a high level of football that, um, you know, that can run really, really well. And so how, how bad could it be? I, I wasn't really that big of a fan of Jelani Jenkins when he came out of Florida, and that's turned out okay. Uh, well, thus far, unless they trade him, I have no idea what's going on there. Um, so, you know, how bad could it really be? But at, at the same time, yeah, there are other guys I like better. Um, yeah, you know, I'd rather have Reggie Ragland, the guy that you, the guy you mentioned that we're kind of bypassing. But I, I like Deion Jones a whole lot, and apparently would feel a little bit, you know, I don't know, not wrong. Yeah. Right, no, I'm, I'm with you, and I, I actually, when I was watching Darren Lee, the guy I actually compared him to was Jelani Jenkins. I, I think they're pretty similar. Uh, Lee, faster, you know, ran that four four seven, but in terms of what they bring to a defense, that, that, that's the same type of player that I see, you know, Darren Lee yeah, and, and Jelani Jenkins. Exactly, exactly, and you know, I just, and maybe this is, maybe I just have kind of a bias against that kind of player, because I, I wasn't a huge fan of Jelani Jenkins coming out either, so... Um, Neither you know, was maybe, I. Maybe that's it. That's for sure. So looking here, uh, going down the second round, I know you're a big fan of Deion Jones. We talked about him a couple of of weeks ago. Um, a few other players that factor into the mix here in kind of that second or third round area at linebacker, um, and the Dolphins may not have a need in terms of their starting lineup, but. 
when you look at them, uh, you got Kiko Alonso and you've got Jelani Jenkins, free agents after the year. So going down to that second round here, you've got Sua Cravens from USC, that safety linebacker tweener, uh, Josh Perry from Ohio State, more that classic, you know, big David Harris type inside mm-hmm. linebacker who can play strong side too. And Jordan Jenkins from Georgia and Kentrell Brothers from Mizzou. But it gets a little bit cloudier here in the second or third round. Um, so if the Dolphins do go in that linebacker position, second, third round, who are a few players you would be looking at? Well, first off, what you mentioned, Kiko Alonso is uh, going to be a free agent after this year, but he's going to be a restricted free agent. Uh, he's not going to be ah. an unrestricted free agent. He didn't He didn't accrue a season the season that he spent the entire list on the non-football injury list because he injured himself out in Oregon uh, doing his own workouts, his own personal training. And so when he came back to the Bills, they put him on the NFI, and he never came off it. And when you're on the NFI for the whole year, you don't accrue a season toward unrestricted free agency. So he's going to be – he's not going to have a contract at the end of the year. But uh, because he was a second-round pick, this is actually interesting, because he was a second-round pick, they can slap the lowest tender on him, the uh, which usually calls for compensation for whatever round you were drafted in and that compensation would be a second-round pick. So it would be the same as if they slapped the middle tender on him. Uh, so that will actually save them like a little over a million dollars by being able to put the, the lowest tender on him. So they've got him cheap for two years. Um, Jelani Jenkins is the guy that might be more of a one-year rental just based on on everybody that they seem to be interested in right now. Um, so, you know, that's I just get that out of the way. Uh, as far as – guys that they could be interested in later on. Uh, you know, I've always been a big fan of Kyler Fackrell, but you could argue that he's not a, he's not a great fit for Miami's defense. Um, and also you could argue that, that other teams like the Jets are just going to be too interested in him because he's too good. Um, I want to know where Jalen – I want to know where, uh, where Notre Dame, Jalen uh, Smith, is, is going to go. Um, you know, with the Fourth knee round. injury. I know he's not going to – yeah, I, I know he's not going to play. Uh, I, I know that he was in a boot that suggested nerve damage. Uh, again, I, I have the luxury of talking to a, 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 an ortho about this, but um, he was in a, he was seen in a boot that suggests nerve damage, which makes me scared. Um, but at the same time, if if the medicals are saying you know, hey, he's just going to miss a year, then. Yeah, I'm interested in that guy. So I want to know where he, where he goes. Joe Schobert is a guy that um, that I'd be interested in at some point. I don't believe he's an outside rush linebacker. Not at not at his size. Not with his uh, his speed. Um, it's just not. He was very productive, and I know that uh, Pro Football Focus does when they do their college college stuff they give him very high marks because he's very efficient getting to the passer that way but it was as an outside linebacker you know just as often going against a back in the backfield as a real offensive tackle he did beat some offensive tackles you got to give him credit but it's not it's not something you think translates it's not it's really not not at 6'1 you know 240 pounds something like that Uh Um, so i'm actually interested in him at the next level as a Mike or a uh, or maybe a Sam, um, so uh, I, I have a lot of. I mean, this guy, this guy's very. He's pretty athletic. I mean, he could dunk a basketball. He's got some good highlights uh, that way. He's another one of those running backers uh, that that you see uh, former running back. Um, so I, I do have interest in in him that way. 
you know, Matakavich from Temple is one of the clearly most instinctive linebackers that I've seen this year. Uh, all, all told, you know, all, all done, no holds barred. Um, and he may not be much to speak of athletically, you know, much like Scooby Wright isn't much to speak of athletically, but his instincts are really off the charts. So I, I have to have some interest in him. Um, the guy from Boston College, Stephen Daniels, continues to look very interesting to me. Again, this is another one of those instinct plays. But in addition to having the instincts, he's built like a Mack truck, and he can hit, and he can he can really pound those blockers and uh, and crush the the integrity of the play, and um, and he has kind of the decisiveness to do that right off the snap. So I have a lot of interest in him. His coaches, first off, he was coaching a very good defense, a very good defensively coached team. Um, and, you know, his coaches have, have compared him to Keekley, and not because he's as athletic as Keekley was, but because his instincts were that good. And so you even see him making plays in the passing game. You know, he's not that athletic, you know, four seven, four seven five kind of guy. Um, but, you know, I, I really would have a lot of interest in him. I know the Dolphins have a ton of interest in B.J. Goodson, uh, and that's uh, middle Mike linebacker from uh, from Clemson. Clemson. Yeah. Uh, he tests, he tested out very well. He hits. Uh, he's he's very physical. So they they've got some interest in him. Uh, later, I think a little bit later in the draft. Uh, I don't think that they're looking for him on day two or anything like that. But uh, you know, those are, those are some other guys. Yeah, I look at a few linebackers, um, not the greatest athletes, but Jordan Jenkins from Georgia, I think, is a what-you-see-is-what-you-get type of player at middle linebacker. Kentrell Brothers, I loved at Mizzou. I thought this guy was going to be you know, a second-round pick, but then shows up and doesn't test out so well, runs a 4-9. Not the fastest guy uh, out there, too. But, you know, if they're available, third, eh, well, I'd say more like fourth round would be the value for that. Uh, something I would be interested in there. So it, quite fascinating as, as we continue to get closer and closer to the NFL draft, looking at that linebacker position and the defensive ends and defensive tackles as well. Follow CK Parrot on Twitter, CK Parrot, just like it sounds. And Chris, uh, before we really dive in next week, uh, you know, just days before the draft. Anything else that you want to throw out there about linebackers, defensive line, anything here as we approach the draft? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think we covered uh, what you what you wanted to cover. I think that, like I said before, uh, for Miami, I would be surprised, a little bit surprised, if the first-round pick didn't boil down to one of those four guys, uh, Miles Jack being probably the first and most coveted for them. Uh, Vernon Hargreaves and and Ezekiel Elliott being the other two, and then uh, and then Shaq Lawson kind of throwing a monkey wrench into it and uh, and sparking a real a real need versus best player available um, controversy among the staff if he's available. It, well, depending on who else is available, um, if none of the other preferreds are available, then it's not. I don't expect it to be that controversial. But, um, but yeah, those 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 four I think are going to be the guys. Uh, you know, if what I'm hearing is is any is is valid <laughs> to any degree, but um, we'll see. So yeah, that's that's how I'd look at it going forward. 
So, CK, I want to jump in real, real quick, and I, it's kind of an unrelated question, but it's one of the things that's on a lot of Dolphin fans' minds today. Um, and I, I realize you probably th- at least thought about it as well, so I'm comfortable asking this. Josh Norman having his franchise tag rescinded. Any thoughts around that and what it could mean in terms of the Dolphins? Um, I think that, you know, Mike Tannenbaum is a bit like uh, – a dog when he hears a siren, you know, he's just gonna he's gonna perk up his ears and chase it immediately. And so I think probably a phone call was made, um, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be a, a real uh, heavy pursuit. So I, I I'm I'm waiting to hear whether that's going to be a thing that actually that they actually follow through on or not. Um, I think that it, it is something that fell into their that kind of fell into everybody's lap. And they do have extra money this this season, you know, on this salary cap that they expected to be allotted by now, but didn't, you know, one one way or another things didn't work out. Um, so they got a little bit of money burning a hole in their pocket that they could use on this, and that is their number one need. Um, but they're going to have some very serious discussions with Vance Joseph about whether he is a good fit for the defense uh, and their style because a lot of people regard him as, you know, a zone-only corner, and um, and maybe he doesn't fit with what Miami wants to do depending on what what they are, what their intentions really are. Uh, so we don't know that yet. It, it'll be up to Vance Joseph. But I will say that Josh Norman, I you know, I, there's a special place in my heart for him because I saw him, uh, I saw him live and trying practices years ago. Um, you know, I identified him back then. I said that this is this is a first round player. Um, he came from Coastal Carolina. Nobody knew who he was, including myself. But you know, I thought he was a first round player back then. Uh, the be- clearly, the best player out there on the field. And he's 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 not a one year wonder by any means. Uh, he's been playing well in Carolina for a couple of years, and you know, I'd really, I'd really, uh, I'd love to see him in Miami, but I just don't know if if that's going to be something that they, that fits them schematically or not, that's up to the, that's beyond my pay grade. Thank you very much here for joining us. CK Parrot. Have a great night and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on again next week. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Guys. All right. Follow him on Twitter at CK Parrot. And that's really all we have for you tonight. We've gone, uh, we've had the mock draft, we've gone defensive end, defensive tackle, linebacker. So there's really nothing left to do but have Solo D take us home. Team and all 
the GOAT. Best sports team and show all across the globe. Fin. It ain't the left side or the right side. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.